Welcome to a hundred and fifty-third episode of A Pint with Sean B. Coming to you from lockdown and coronavirus land. The world is ending. Don't know what to do. But luckily, I have the Don with me. All the way by Zoom from the far west suburbs of Dublin. Welcome the Don. Thank you, thank you. It's a kind of a grave day, hence the grave uh, opening, because it's the first episode of A Pint with Shawnee B where I've not been face-to-face with my guests. So those of you who are regular listeners will know that myself and the Don tend to fight for airspace with each other. And we're now in a kind of a podcast equivalent of lockdown, where we have to use finger movements, usually the bird from the Don, when she wants to get in to interrupt me. Yeah, but we've had practice from the bingo, or not bingo, quiz. Quiz, Yeah. Some of you may not be aware, but Sean is somewhat competitive and can get a bit serious at times. We have a few friends that do the quizzes with us, and we've all learned to follow Sean's rules. Remember the time you tried to make us, you got us to make flashcards? Mm. Well, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say competitive. I think if there's a whole bunch of people joining by Zoom for a quiz and you only have 10 seconds to answer, and people have got drunker and drunker and are deciding that they're going to sing the song that was the theme of the last question that they got right to show how great they are. While the other question is showing, somebody needs to take a firm hand to the quiz team and herd the cats to answering the question. And we finished sixth out of 760 teams. Why are we doing the quizzes? Are we doing them so some idiot in court goes, well done, the Don and Johnny B and your friends. You're clever. Or are we doing it because... We're going star raving mad and we have nobody to talk to and it's our pub night out. There is absolutely no reason whatsoever to enter a pub quiz unless you want to win it, okay? It is not, it's just taking apart. It is the taking apart. We win and we don't cheat, we win. We use our superior intelligence over the Cork people. This quiz, by the way, is based on Cork. Actually, anyone who wants to join it, it's very good. It's called... Pat O'Hearn Entertainment and it's on every Tuesday and Friday and there's thousands of people and it's not cheatable because you get points for um, answering quickly yeah. it's not very, we just finished watching um, the biggest laugh we've had in about six weeks which was Charlie Brooker's Screen Wipe on BBC it is fantastic if you can find it anyone listening funniest funniest piece of coronavirus material right? Yeah it was um, the coronavirus themed one I think it was anti. was it antiviral wipe? Antiviral wipe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. It's really funny. What else has been happening, Don? I mean... I bought some uh, toilet cakes for the toilet today because I felt the toilet would... I hadn't had... You know what toilet cakes are? You know those things that you pop in the cistern and it makes all the toilet blue and foamy and nice? I do. I haven't do. had them in ages. Walking through spa going, you know what? I'll treat the toilet to a cake because it's been under a lot of pressure. So that's just showing the sort of madness that's going on inside my head at the moment. And was that an essential visit to spa? It was, well, my toilet would say so. (laughs) I I have a few friends, Paul Howerman, if you're listening, from Singapore, who the time we went walking, in our 2.2 kilometre radius, we went up and took those good shots of Grafton Street, empty like the fucking plague it hit, which it has. And then my little curtain-twitching little fucking Paul Howerhan from Singapore goes, what are you doing out there? You should be fined on my Facebook. Like, you know, that sort of shit is... Yeah, that was... You know, by the way, Paul, if you're listening, you were like that when you were young. Yeah, there's a lot of you that. Fucking, I... fucking get over yourself. Unbelievable. There is a lot of that, and it's been pissing me off massively. But Paul, chicken, you made an absolute tit of yourself. Well, of course, Paul is lucky because he's living in Singapore where they have 24,000 cases and no deaths. No one dying from it in Singapore. It's amazing, miracle. Great, isn't it? And most of them are just uh, the, the workers that work on the buildings in Singapore who come from Bangladesh and Sri Lanka and India. And they live in the yeah. building site. And they all it, it kind of railroaded through all that. But yeah, very few deaths in Singapore. Twelve, I think they have. I have a question for you. I have a question, and I don't know the answer. I'm guessing you do. Is it that they've no deaths in Singapore, which, by the way, is bollocks? Or is it that... They don't have many Singaporean deaths. You do see the distinction there. I would say all of the above. You know, it is the other country that is doing really well on the low death score is the United Arab Emirates. Very open there. China, of course, very low on deaths. Although I recently saw Wuhan has announced they're going to 
they're going to test all 11 million inhabitants. When I lived in China, it was amazing. You go, you go all around China and you get, I'm in Liaonang province and you're in Binxi, which is right beside the North Korean border. And you arrive there and it's like population 2 million. You've never heard of the place. You have all these cities like, you know, that have just got 8 million people, the size of London in them. I have to admit, right, every time I hear Wuhan and they start describing wet markets and all I can think of is the song from maybe the late 90s was Wu-Tang Clan. I was going to say like, Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah, yeah. So all I can hear is, check out my... I'm like, that's desperate. It's really bad. And in my back, in the back of my head, I'm just going, check out my gravel bit. The Wu-Tang Clan were a bit mad, weren't they? I, I used to have like a, a friend who was 12 at the time who was a kind of buddy that I used to hang out with in mind, not in a weird way, um, James. And he was like really into the Wu-Tang Clan. But they were all like, they were all in prison. And like they were all kind of yeah. mad, weren't they? I enjoyed the fact that they had clan in their name. Yeah, occasionally one gets shot to death and then they'd release a new album. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I was thinking. And I, I Are think they still going? It. I don't fucking know. I haven't been in touch with them. Who uh, knows what the fuck's going on there? What else is better? We, we finished our movie. Well, we finished our movie screenplay. But not finished. Well, what draft are we on? We're on, we can, we're sending it out to production companies draft. Excellent. Step, step one, name of the movie, explain to people what it's about. At the moment, the name of the movie is Paddy Kavda, ha ha ha. A joyful little play on Paddy Clark, ha ha ha, which is in fact a Roddy Doyle movie, or book. Um, yeah, it had started originally as like a 10, 15 minute short, and then it grew legs. Essentially, it is about a woman in her late 40s who works in publishing and is a bit unhappy and she starts having her lunch on the canal in Dublin and she meets a homeless guy in his 20s and they strike up conversation around the Patrick Kavanagh bench. So the Patrick Kavanagh bench, Patrick Kavanagh is one of our most famous writers and poets and a lot of his writing was based around that area of Dublin. In one of his poems he talked about the idea of being remembered, I have a simple bench for me. So there is, in fact, there, there are a lot of benches up along the canal and there's a be- one of the benches has a bronze statue is it? Um, of him on the bench. So space for one person to sit beside him. And there's an interesting thing there. So there's duality of two times. There's the time of Dublin when Patrick Kavanagh was there versus now in 2020. And th- there are hints of the 1950s and 60s flickering back but there's also a duality of the two Dublins we live in because Doc is the name of our homeless character he's living in a very different world to Elaine who is middle class and has a decent job so there are two times and there are two very different experiences of Dublin but they're all brought together in the same place and the double face of Dublin as Paddy Kavanagh called the double, it the double face of Dublin it, it's about the assumptions we make we make assumptions on people like Doc as to how much they have to offer, what kind of wisdom they have and what brings them to where they are. But we also make assumptions on people we perceive to be privileged or middle class. And we make assumptions about how much of a right they have to feel hurt. So this is kind of trying to upset the apple cart a little bit there. Throughout the movie, you kind of see that Doc has quite a lot more wisdom, quite a lot more wisdom than we initially given credit for and Elaine has quite a lot more hurt than we're often inclined to validate all wrapped up in a hilarious comedy so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and there, there are lots of other layers there and there's a lot of social commentary there and I think probably 80% of that social commentary might go over people's heads but you know people are, I kind of hope people can take what they want from it but I hope even myself like when I'm writing certain scenes, I sometimes, and I think you've done the same, I've sometimes kind of done a 180 and done something weird with it purely because I'm questioning my own assumptions right. about people and turning them on its head. And I hope, I want people to feel challenged. I want, because I feel it in reading through parts of it and in writing parts of it, I feel, I catch myself out and go, yeah, you're a bit of a judgmental bitch there now. Let's, let's, let's topple that, so. That's what I hope to do with it, but also have it be entertaining. And I also would like for it to showcase Paddy Kavanagh's work. 
because literature is, I, I think, the strongest aspect of Irish culture. I, I've always had a sense that there are certain things like politics or literature that people feel excluded from. And we live in a time where the internet is there. There's, there's nothing you can't find out if you want to know, if you're curious. But I think there's a barrier that certain people feel stupid and they feel, who am I to be reading this? I'd like to contribute to reviving that aspect of Irish culture, but in such a way that it invites it to be for everybody, because I think particularly Irish Irish literature certainly sits on a throne of, we're post-colonial, we're not like Britain, we're not like other countries. It's the rawness and the struggle in Irish history that makes, or certainly we often feel, makes it more real and more beautiful. And so I think it's really important that if our literature and culture is for everybody and belongs to the Irish people and it's not just for the educated and for the haves, then we have to make it accessible. And I think we need to start inviting people to feel that it's for them. That was a good summary. We're, we're, this is the first recording of us talking about the film, which if it ever gets made might be interesting, but... As a director, we have in mind for a call Lenny Abrahamson, who's probably the best um, director, and it's we really feel it's up his soy, as they say in Thailand. But um, I was just going to say, come here to me, Lenny, because I know you're listening. He's a big listener of the show. My my SoundCloud is literally with likes from him all the way through. So yeah, say what you want to say to him. I have a bone to pick with you, Lenny. I'm I'm a fan of your work, but we watched a movie the other night, The Little Stranger. Yeah, no, it was good. I liked it. It was kind of a dark drama and I got to a certain point in it and I kind of feel like I've been stealthed. It starts to get a bit creepy and I went, sure look, if Clarence here, Clarence is my daddy, I'll be round. Um just because it gets a bit creepy. But then I realised Must be said that Madame doesn't like horror movies. I don't. And and two things happen if I watch a horror movie. Now I think horror might be a stretch, but it was just that bit much for me, Letty, and I was stealthed. And I was shaking like a flat pack wardrobe. I'm not grand. I was not okay. I was concerned going to the bathroom. I just, I think, I feel like there should be a content warning. Because two things happened to me if I watch a horror movie. There was the one time I went to the cinema with friends. I was in my teens and I didn't know it was a horror movie. And I left in an ambulance. I had a panic attack. It's actually the sound that gets me, right? Because I'm quite auditory and like, I'm autistic as well. So when it's dark and you can't see anything else and it's the sound that gets me so if you turned off the sound I'd be perfectly fine so I had a panic attack and I stood up to leave and I collapsed and hit my head and got concussion so we learned let's not do that anymore now the other thing that happens is I can sit through gore and I'll watch the movie particularly if it's during the day I'll sit there and watch it and go oh yeah very good very good no reaction whatsoever perfectly fine other people might have a little squeal might go might hide behind the pillow and I'll be sitting there straight-faced, this is grand, yeah, good film, until the credits roll, at which point I have a nervous breakdown. It's not good. And, and I just think I have enough psychiatric issues as it is. So I, I would in future be aware, Lenny, to either put a content warning or just, just, just be conscious of stealthing people with that. But aside from that, well done, good job. If Lenny Abrahamson is listening, sorry, when Lenny Abraham listens to this podcast, he'll probably go, forget about Paddy Kavanagh. Ha, ha, ha. I prefer to shoot that little synopsis of a movie where you have a little nervous breakdown, a mental in, mental incident, and get rushed to hospital after watching one of my films, Meta. He's also done a great movie called uh, Adam and Paul, which is one of his first movies, which is about two drug addicts around Dublin, which is like waiting for Godot with heroin. It's amazing. And he's done Frank, which is a great weird movie, which is one of the big appeals for us with Paddy Cavanagh because we have a bit of weirdness in there as well. Um, so anyway, Lenny Abrahamson, if you're listening, get the fuck in touch. We've sent, it to, we've sent you a tweet and we've also sent the script to your agent. She's probably read it and gone, this is shit. But if nothing else, if the movie goes nowhere, we've got nothing to lose. And if it goes somewhere, you were the first guy and you didn't get back to us. So there. What else has been going on? How are you getting on teaching your children? I mean, how are you getting on teaching my children? I only have to do it for an hour every Wednesday or Thursday. Your, your little daughter's great. So the, the Don's daughter, um, Anya, as she's known on the podcast, has her own podcast called Peanut from the Gallery, which you can find on Facebook only. She's a little nine-year-old who's doing a COVID-19 from the perspective. It's a bit like Anne Frank with COVID. And she's doing uh, her own little 10-minute podcast 
But anyway, I'm only doing that once uh, a week. God love me, I'm really breaking my arse helping. But like, how's it going? Because, you know, at the best of times, you're not the biggest fan of teachers. And now you don't have 27 kids in the class. You just have your two. So is it? Yeah. Now, I will say I have huge respect for some teachers. The teachers who have no children and know everything about children because they come and read a few fucking Anne and Barry books in a classroom and then are not particularly nice to children because they're upset when a child isn't a little dolly that tells them they're God. I've no respect for them. My daughter's teacher, fair play to him, great lad, taking it on the chin. I wouldn't. I would say it's a difficult thing to know what book to say to a nine-year-old who's saying, yeah, I didn't actually get my geography's work done. But uh, here's my podcast on Nietzsche. Uh, but fair, fair folks, from, he's like, suggest, he at one point suggested, uh, she mentioned Orwell and she suggested some other books by Orwell, which in fact she had read. But when you suggest a book about communism to a nine-year-old, you always, I mean, he has met me, but you always run that risk of, oh, fuck, I'm not sure. <laughs> You're teaching in a Catholic school. Oh, this could backfire on me. So I just think fair folks, from, he's a nice lad and he's, getting on board with it. He's a, he's a cool teacher. Um, uh, yeah, so I have... But you're not, you, haven't, you haven't received a vocation to go into the teaching profession. Oh, God, no, because, you see, I don't like children. Yeah, neither do and I. I'm, so, I'm somewhat attached to my own. The fact but... that they're still alive and I've learned a little bit about philosophy in one case might be a good thing. I'm finding that there's no... You know, there's plenty of time in the day to do things. I'm not, like, uh, climbing the walls, go out for my oh, walk. Yeah. Not really, no. You know, it's kind of... There's always... There's, there's the big book that I have going that I still have. I actually started reading a book um, called The Noonday Demon, which is an anthology of depression. I thought that'd be kind of, not only will I go into lockdown, I'll read a fucking book about depression and suicide and black dog and everything and see if I just tempt it in. Come on! Well, it's been very interesting. So if anyone has got depression or is dealing with people who have depression, it's a very good, solid read. But I'm, you know, I still have another 200 pages of that to go. Yeah, some boyfriends say, yeah, I'll watch... RuPaul's Drag Race with you because I care about you whereas you say <laughs> yeah I'll read the Noonday Team which I didn't suggest that. by the way but fair play and then the other well, thing is the weather the weather has been uh, to the point where you have to start ringing up the scientists and going lads is there a reason why April has been the greatest April probably in the history of Ireland going back to potato famine way back 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 we have birds tweeting and sunny days and even when it rains, it's like fresh, soft day, thank God, rain. And it's like 1970. It's just beautiful. Yeah, I'm glad of it because I have, like, I'm not proud of this, but I have been going for walks every day. And my car is not broken, but my brain is. So I, I have had to take up that. So I am glad that the weather is nice. Like, there I am getting up at the crack of noon. And the fucking day is gone. You missed the best part of the day. Yeah, literally. But I mean, I don't really need to make my days any fucking longer as it is. You know, there is the element of like, yes, I could get up early, but do I need to do that to myself? And it's not because, oh, why would I, why would I strain myself to get out of bed? It's because, honest to Jesus, it's fucking tough enough going. I don't need to stretch out the misery. And I actually find the house can be quite cold because we don't get much sun. So I was quite bitter about the weather because I was like, you know, you know what's pissing out? I had, I had a great hobby when I was a child. Like if you're off sick, is it's Monday and it's fucking foul out. And I used to like to sit beside the windowsill, like everybody would be gone out and I'm sick, so I'm at home. It was a different time, not that different, but I was at home alone anyway. And so I'd sit there by the windowsill watching everybody else go to school in the pisses around getting fucking drenched. And I'd stick my little head out of the net curtains and I used to just shiver with delight. <laughs> and I know that's terrible. And it wasn't like, it's, I know that's desperate. Like I'm not a mean person. I'm really not. But it was just, there's nothing cosier than when it's shitty outside and you're stuck in. So that's why I was a bit like, look, if I'm housebound, it's not helping if it's sunny out and it makes you feel like going out. Whereas if it's horrible out, you go, right, fuck it, let's hibernate, it's winter. But now that I'm doing the walkies, I'm going, right, okay, I'm glad of the weather. There, I'd lo I hope someone is doing some sort of analysis of, you know, how many massive tornadoes there are in America and how many... Like, we haven't heard of any of them. I, you kind of wonder about the rest of the world. Like, the, the news is just so focused on this uh, pandemic that you go, is there other things happening? Like, are people still getting killed in South Sudan? And is Hong, are the Hong Kong protesters still coming out and banging the shit out of their umbrellas on people's heads? And you, you, all of that news just goes away. And you kind of go, well. Yeah, there was that terrible attack on a maternity ward in Afghanistan, wasn't it? 
Yeah, ISIS sound like they're kind of regrouping. They're using this to regroup. And then there's all the conspiracy theories as well, which are kind of not helping. Oh, our pals. My previous guest on the show, um, I must I must do her the service of saying that uh, she no longer believes the Queen is lizard. She believes the Queen's okay. David Icke is now the problem. And Donald Trump is Christ, sent to save us all. And it's all happening any week soon. Yeah, come here, we have a bone to pick with you about that. Now, I did listen in to the podcast that you did without me last episode, and I note that you pointed out that I am the goddess of joy. Now, according to her. Ray, uh, I wanted to point that out because fucking ray of sunshine that I am, and I may have been gacked off my tits on that pipe, which I enjoyed, but at no point did I announce I was the goddess of joy. And I say that with the greatest respect because, like yourself, I would differ from Sophia in, in my views, but she is a nice lady, so I do, I, I'm not interested in ripping the piss. But, mm. but yeah, no, so... Uh, Lizzie was out, now she's in. Liz is not a lizard. Queen Liz transpires. She, what is she now? Is she the... No, hang on, no, come here to me. Uh, Melania is the Mary Magdalene. Yeah. And Donald Trump yeah. is Jesus Christ reincarnated. The Queen was the linchpin of the Illuminati and apparently she's not anymore. She's talking about these people called the Greys now who are the bad people who are being... I think Tom Hanks might be a Grey. The people who are just being... Muhammad. And Muhammad, yeah, she went full fat bot this week, and which would be quite funny. I mean, I, if it was Islam versus Mother Sophia, I think Mother Sophia might have a chance. Fair play. And I will say, you know, I differ on some things, but I saw her post today, and while I don't agree on her stance on the Donald Trump thing, I thought, fair Jews, it, it takes a set of balls to take down Muhammad. And, you know, she raised some interesting points and questions I would also be asking. And, and we've had this chat before, I've attacked prophets from other religions too but mm. not somebody that I would be seeing as a great role model so if I was a prophet I'd be a not-for-profit but I, 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 I in fairness to her those who don't know what we're talking about just scroll back to the last episode where we had the Virgin Mary also known as Isis also known as the person who's going to save us all and she I, I wrote to her you know because I you know she is she and I am me and I wrote to her and just said look you've been picked as number 13 in the dawn's countdown and I said you know I hope you don't mind me just ripping the piss out of your your theories on um, various things, including Donald Trump. And she was quite gracious about it. She said, yeah, cool. I mean, I think in fairness, she gets a lot of crap from a lot of places. So she's well used to it. And um, and may God bless all who sail in her, so to speak. Well, in fairness, I will say that she's well able for a bit of debate and open to other people's opinions. And she doesn't get her knickers in a twist. And I'd say she'd be outstanding in her own field and a few of her own views. So, but she's well able to take it on the chin and, yeah, I think that's we could all learn a little bit from that and learn story. And she got uh, she was um, voted as number thirteen in your top twenty countdown, which is the reason we're here today. So those regular listeners will know that since the start of the year, the Don has been painstakingly gone through all episodes of Pint with Shawnee B and picked out her favorite top twenty. And so that's why we're here today to introduce number 12. And as ever, the Don gives me three clues as to who she's picked. I have no idea who she's picked. And she asked me to see if I can remember uh, who I was talking to from her clues. So what's the first clue today? First clue today is capitalism is fine, but it has to have social hand. Uh, Giles? Nope. Um, okay. Second clue. Second clue. This person grew up, with, grew up without lecky. Mm. Well, that does narrow it down. Tygo Donoghue? Yeah. Third clue, should you be interested, and I knew it wouldn't last too long, was he worked in the revenue. He did. Jesus. My favorite quote of his was, Dublin was a bicycle city. Yeah. Okay, so Tygo Donoghue, uh, I interviewed in New York, and he's an ex-partner of PwC. He was a big player in the formation of Ireland as it sort of emerged into in, out of kind of peasantry and into some semblance of vague first worldness back in the 50s and 60s. And he was born and raised on Valencia, Valencia Island, out, which, is a, which is a rock out on the west coast of Ireland where, you know, he lived, on, yeah, lived without electricity and a great raconteur, big, big supporter of Gaelic football and Kerry. What, what did you like about it? I just really enjoyed it. I liked, you know, he's from Kerry. Um, but despite that, I enjoyed his interview. <laughs> <laughs> and I always think, I'm from Kerry. Uh, half of my family are from Kerry. 
yeah, you see, you do this thing. I'm from Kerry. No, you're fucking not. You know the way your grandparents are very important in your life. My grandmother was from Ballymacalligan, and she used to bring me down to Kerry to Hangley uh, yeah. Farm, and you know, it was great. Mem- some of my happiest memories were getting on the train and going down there. I mean, yeah. So I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think there's two types of people from Kerry. There, are, like, there's kind of cute or wit. There's that type of person and that'd be tight. And the other type of person is a fucking primary school teacher. Um, but I, I loved his wit and wisdom and the storyteller, the story weaver kind of element is there. And I found he actually reminded me a lot of one of my granddads. But I, I enjoyed the, um, the turn of phrase and, you know, says he. And it just reminded me of Teepee. I liked that. I, I loved hearing back about Sean Lamass and... Um, education becoming free. Just, I, I enjoyed hearing about that time. I also laughed at his comment about doing commerce in UCD. And at the time, you'd study the lecture, and whether you agreed with them or not, you just gave him back his own opinion. And I have to say, that's still the fucking case. If you want to pass, that's still the case. You just tell them what they want to hear. It's funny how things don't change. And I also, a, a little tidbit for me was because it was not one of your more recent podcasts. It was in, what, December 2016? So it was, it was a couple of months before I met you. And you sounded more like when I met you. And I kind of missed hearing that mid-Atlantic twang of a teenage girl on the dart. And it was just, aw, memories. And I also, by the way, heard you nearly say 26 counties instead of 32. And he very graciously didn't pick up on that. All things aside, I, I always try and tie it in. But there is a sense of get up and go. Um, like we've had that with other podcasts where people have done amazing things and really brave lives and gone here and there. But there's just... I uh, get a sense of confidence listening to him, as in, like, you were asking, would you, were you nervous? And I'm just no, sure, why would That's something I, uh, I I always admire because I, I lack that. So I I think sometimes when you kind of just hear that, get on with it bit, it's, it's kind of inspiring because you kind of go, yeah, just get on with it. So I enjoyed it. It was kind of nostalgic for me. He's the only person really that you have with that. So And, and I just I just loved listening to it. So that's why I picked it. Well, Tig, if you're listening, I hope you're well. We were meant to have a pint in Dublin. We never got round to that with Andy O'Callaghan, so I'm still up for that at some point. Um, I hope you're, you're all right. And without further ado, we give you number 12 in the Don's Top 20 Countdown on the Pint with Shawnee B, the wonderful raconteur, Tig O'Donnell. Welcome to another Pint with Shawnee B. Today I have a great guest, a guy called Tig O'Donoghue. He spent much of his life as a partner at the very top of PwC in Ireland. He was responsible for inward investment. He's from a very remote island in the, in Ireland off the coast, west southwest coast. He'll talk to us a little bit about what it was like growing up there without electricity and how he used to have to get to school by boat very smart fella and a guy who's got great advice and wisdom and points of view he's not afraid to be outspoken like most people from the kingdom of Kerry Kerry is a place where half my family comes from and is a unique and powerful part of Ireland we talk a lot about Gaelic football on the podcast as well so those of you who don't know what that is have a bit of a treat in store there Again, thank you all for all your likes and tweets and uh, support and messages. We're on a bit of a roll now and audiences are building, so thank you very much for that. Please keep sharing and, uh, if possible, commenting on iTunes about what you think of the podcast, even if you think it's shit. Okay, without further ado, I give you the great Tygo Donahue, Kerry Man. Good morning. Good morning, Sean. Is this your first time on a podcast? Probably is, actually. <laughs> I've done interviews and stuff, but uh, I've done live radio. Okay. But uh, I, I'm not sure about a podcast. Right. It's the new Fandango so, yeah, thing on the and, internet. Uh, it means I don't have to go on RT. You know the story about being outspoken. You know the Kerry man who thought he had the inferiority complex. He thought he was the same as everybody else. <laughs> We have, a, we have a lot of listeners from overseas, so we need to explain to them a little bit about Kerry. And I also am interested in talking to you about what life was like in Ireland when you were growing up back in the day. Well, you see, I grew up on an island, Valencia Island, off the coast of Kerry. We participated in every sport, provided it was Gaelic football. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we need to stop there. Gaelic football, for those of you who don't know, is the national sport of Ireland. There's two, Gaelic football and hurling. They're a little bit like a cross between 
soccer and rugby and uh, Australian foot rules football and Kerry uh, are the masters of Gaelic football the sport is broken out by county uh, there's 20, 32 counties and Kerry usually wins Yes, Kerry have contested 50% of the last finals in the last century I never knew that 50% of the finals the, the trick question is which county has lost the most finals Kerry because they've been in the most <laughs> They won the most and lost. The and lost the most, yeah. <laughs> so we've 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 won thirty seven, and I think we've lost eighteen. My God, it's so a, it's a, it's an amateur sport. It's the the fulcrum of society and village life. Probably the most watched sport in Ireland. And um, I used to play it when I was a kid as well. Yeah. What part of Kerry are you from? French Island, an island off the coast of Kerry. Yeah. We say Ireland is, a, is an island off the coast of Valencia. But uh, I grew up on the island when it was a real island, no bridge. You had, to, you had to get the boat to go to the mainland. We grew up on a dairy farm. We didn't have electricity in those days even. We didn't even have a, have a landline. You had to go down to the post office to make a phone call. Oh it was really a rural, rural. Oh, was it Gaelic speaking? Partly Gaelic speaking, partly English speaking. Right, right. The living there was either farming, and we were dairy farmers or fishing. They were the two big industries. So how many cows would your father have had? Uh, my father had, I think he had only about 20, because they had to be hand-milked. Yeah. We didn't have electricity. Yeah. My brother now who farms, because the electricity has 90 cows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And would you be the main, one of the main providers of milk for the island? Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Would uh, be- exported to the mainland, uh, to the creamery, who then exported the cream to wherever to be processed in places like Cork and Dublin. So Valencia Island is, is like, I mean, it was wild there, right? Because it, oh, yeah. it gets a battering from it the Atlantic. W- yeah. When you get the battering from the Atlantic, straight in, southwest wind, the real cold one would come in March, you get from the northwest. Yeah, yeah. So you went to school on the island as oh, well? Oh, school, national school on the island, uh, secondary or high school, as you would call it, in America and the mainland. I went to St. Brendan's College, Killarney, which was a boarding school. Right. And the main reason for going to boarding school was because we were an island and you couldn't be in the ferry every day. Yeah, yeah. Although yeah. lots of lads did. Did they really? Oh, yeah. yeah came in. Lots of lads cycled to the ferry, got on the ferry, cycled another three miles to the town of Carsevine, and cycled back again that evening. It'd be fit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We Carsevine's a lovely town. Carsevine is... It's a mile long. It has one main street yeah. running the whole town. Up the main street, down the same street. It's down the like. same street, yeah. <laughs> so can I, I mean, to get, try and give my listeners a, a, a view of what is special about being from Kerry, about Kerry people. Because we were in the southwest corner of Ireland, away from any motorway or anything. We were self-sufficient, so we knew we had to make our own way. Yeah. And I think that made us all the better. And w- but was it uh, like back in the day? Was it scary coming up to Dublin? No, no, we didn't. We had no fear of Dublin. Right, right. But then we'd been in Dublin many times for matches. Yeah, of course, <laughs> beating them. The famous, <laughs> the, the famous ghost train. Yeah, uh, yeah. left Carsevine at midnight. Wow. Got into Dublin at maybe eight or nine in the morning. These were pre-diesel trains. These were steam trains, yeah. run by turf, and if the turf was wet, uh, be all night, and it was known as the ghost train. So this would because be all the guys from Kerry, and it's the it's probably the farthest train journey in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, you know, even today it would take probably five hours, would it, by train or four? Probably. I think Killarney takes four hours. Yeah. And we are another further hour and a half beyond Killarney. Yeah. And these trains will be coming up on on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, usually. Uh, in time to, for all the fans from Kerry to get to Croke Park, which is the the national the, the Gaelic uh, headquarters stadium in Dublin, uh, and they'd all go watch the game, which would probably kick off at about two o'clock in the afternoon, and then they'd probably go back that night. Would you go back that night? But uh, some people made it. No matter who played in the final, they booked the final every year to come up for a long weekend. But you're half the time you'd be in it. Yeah, half the time. <laughs> so it wasn't a big guess to know, yeah. to pre-book. <laughs> How many did you go to? Oh, I've been at pretty well every final since I was about 15. Really? Oh, yeah. So does this become like a, uh, a a thing at some point? Like you go, oh, I've, I've never missed one. I can't miss them now. It is, yeah. Oh, you'd never. You'd never. The only reason you'd miss one 
is you are in hospital or something, <laughs> then you would miss it. And like, do you, do you have no problem getting tickets? Uh, there's always a problem with tickets, but they come eventually. Yeah. Eventually, we manage to get tickets. So, um, so uh, you came to Dublin to study. Came to Dublin to do commerce. UCD. UCD. So what was UCD like back then? Uh, it was still a small university. Right. Education was still a way behind. Mm, yeah. In my day, I was the only person from my primary national school to go to university. What did the rest of them do? Went into the uh, They went working. Work. A lot of them gave up school at 14 or 15 and went labouring. Uh, did you still labor- know some of them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Still know some of them. Uh, uh, they were very keen on the building trade. So anywhere there was building going on, you found those lads working. Brilliant. They were the days before the mechanised building. Digging drains, yeah. digging foundations. Uh, yeah. I had a very funny story once when I was in, I was in the Spaniard in Kinsale which is in the neighbouring uh, county of Cork, which they don't get on, the two of them, but anyway, they're both beautiful counties to go to. And this guy came in to me, and uh, he, he, he walked up to me in, in the pub, and he said, he was, he was six foot seven, and he, he, he'd just come in from labouring or something. Yeah. And he said to me, are you some class of a media? I yeah. I'm sure I suppose I am. And then he, he, he held out his hand to shake my hand. It was like shaking hands with a shovel. And he said, I build walls. Yeah. Can't come back from that. No, no, you build walls. And yeah. he was—he was one of those guys who did drywalls. He was one of the last remaining oh, stone drywalls. Stone drywalls. Oh, yeah. These are the walls that you see in. Which is coming back again, by it the way. It is, of course, it's trendy. Oh now. yeah, yes, yeah. it's, it's it's very trendy now to build a dry stone wall. When you see pictures, anyone from overseas, the old pictures of the west of Ireland, you see all these walls um, sectioning off fields, and what was the way they were built was that the field would be full of stones, and these guys would come in and take the stones out of the fields to make them. Uh, tillable or, or yeah. know, grazable by, by cows and then they'd take the stones and then they'd make them into these walls that would then section off the, the fences for farming and they've lasted they last forever they don't oh, forever. fall down and there's no cement they're just how to place so each one on top dry of the other. stone wall yeah and um, so how was commerce? commerce was good in those days we decided look we would study each uh, lecturer and we would guess what came up in the <laughs> commerce exam, and we were usually ninety percent right. <laughs> and that part of commerce guessing is going to happen. Even if we disagreed with what he was saying, we gave him back his own version. We didn't take any chance of uh, disagreeing with the lecturer in an examination. Right. We gave his own muck back. <laughs> did you have fun? Oh, we did. Yeah. yeah, we had fun because we had football and we had. We had a dancing was a huge thing in those days, yeah. and every faculty had its dances. Yeah, yeah. Once a week. What was Dublin like then? It was a bicycle city. There were bicycles everywhere. Right. It, you could nearly say with the pre motor car age. Mm-hmm. I mean, you went in, no matter where you looked in the morning, you saw crowds cycling to work. Is that right? My God, how the world has changed. What was it like in terms? Was it dirty or? Very. Streets were not clean like they are today. Everything was thrown on the ground. Right. Cigarettes, matches, it was all there in the footpath. Right. If you were in a, if you were in a corner outside a pub, you couldn't see the ground. It was covered with fags and really? matches and paper and ah oh, yeah, uh, and the smog as well. There was a lot of smoke. Smog, yeah. The there was there was one or two really bad ones. I remember one we came out of a cinema and could not see the other side of the street. Right. It's amazing. It's it's amazing. I suppose looking at Dublin now, uh, at how sophisticated it has become. Oh yeah. Uh, versus back then, because that wasn't that long ago. I mean, that's I mean, years uh, ago. I came to Dublin in 1959. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's what 50, yeah. 56 years ago. Yeah, yeah. The entertainment in Dublin for us was dances. Parnell Square had, I think, about eight dance halls. Right, and the cinema. And the cinema. Savoy. Sunday night, you had to book a cinema. There were queues outside the cinemas. Right. And there were ticket touts, uh, because if you didn't have a ticket and you went in, you could buy a, a pair of tickets off a tout. Right, right. That doesn't happen anymore. It was just a different culture. Yeah. Because the difference even bet- between Dublin and Valencia Island would have been vast even back then. Did you get homesick being up in Dublin? No, no, no. because we were probably near enough to home, you see. Yeah. You couldn't do a weekend now because when you are working, 
because work was always five and a half days in those days. Right. So you didn't finish work until one o'clock on the Saturday. Uh, no so really, you couldn't go as far as Valencia and back. You'd have to take a day off. You'd take a day off. Right. But we weren't homesick. Right. Telephones were away in the dark age. Communication was by letter. Uh, even in secondary school, I would write home every week, and my mother would write back to me every week right. in in boarding school. That was how. To, that was those were the days. That was the days, and it was a problem in farming. You're there, say, mowing hay, and something happens to the machine. You need a part, and you know where to get it in Tralee, but you've got to call Tralee, and then it's going to be maybe another day before that part arrives. Yeah. Today you pick up the mobile phone and, and the Amazon brings it, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, the equivalent of FedEx brings it. Uh, yeah, with an hour. In an hour. I know. I know. And, and you, your first job out of uh, commerce was in the tax department. In the tax department, yeah. Now I hear. So this, this would have been around Lamas and all that coming in. And yeah, sort of trying to Lamas, clean up the act Lamas was Taoiseach. Uh, in those days, prior, uh, in the eve of elections, there would be major rallies mm-hmm. in Dublin. But I remember Lamas speaking in 1961, talking about joining Europe. Yeah. I mean, he was really. Uh, he was really Visionary. so far ahead of his time. Was, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a time when Ireland uh, gained its independence in in uh, ninety. What became it became it the Republic of Ireland in the in the nineteen twenty two twenty six, and so the country was only finding its feet because the British had left, and so he had to find hospitals and you know civil service and tax and get a get a country running. Oh yeah, get yeah. a country running, and that was a huge task, and. The scientific quality of farming was way behind. Uh, I remember around 1960, the average yield of a cow was about 500 gallons. My brother wouldn't keep a cow unless it was well north of 1,000 gallons. This was a time when, uh, you know, the Northern Ireland was still, as it is today, part of of Great Britain. And was there any parallels with... I'm I'm a big fan of Greece, and I know one of the biggest problems with Greece is people don't pay their taxes properly. It's no. all under the table. and There was quite an amount of that, but tax evasion was never an industry, I think, in Ireland. Okay. I mean, I worked in the revenue for 10 years. Yeah. Of course, there was evasion. Yes. But it wasn't an industry like it might be in Greece. <laughs> was there a sense that people understood we were building a new country and that we had to pay tax? Was, was there sort of a national pride as well? Uh, there was by those who didn't pay tax. <laughs> but those who those who paid tax were trying to pay less tax. Yeah. <laughs> Same everywhere, isn't it? I mean, uh, everybody. How come you didn't spend all your... Because a lot of people who go into the civil service, you know, it's, a, it's the old job for life. What made you decide to leave? I got a phone call one day from a guy in what's now PwC. He was a partner there. And he said, we're we have put a big advertisement in the paper uh, last week and you didn't reply to it. Oh, I said, I looked at what you were looking for. I said, you're looking for the impossible. Oh, no, so see, we think you'd be a, a, a reasonable candidate. He right. knew me. And uh, I said, okay. And he said, would you come up for an interview? I said, okay. And he says, come to the office. Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to the office. I said, sure, if I stand in your reception and somebody from the revenue sees me, they'll know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. And I said, I'm doing very nicely in the revenue, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so we met in a hotel, and we did the deal there and then. Were you just around 30 then? I was 32. Right. And married? Uh, married, yeah. Right, right. And that was another challenge, because now you're going from absolute security in the civil service yeah. to the unknown. So back then it was, what was the name of it? Grant Thornton? Craig Gardner. Craig Gardner's, right. So it was an accountancy firm. It was the, lead, it was the leading accountancy firm in Dublin. Right. Uh, mainly auditing. Mainly auditing. auditing but they needed some tax. Tax consulting was in its infancy. Yes. But the accounting firms actually got into it pretty fast, with the result is that tax consulting over all those years has been the, the province of accountants rather than legal people. Yes. Whereas if you come to the States, it's the legal people, mostly, I That's think. That's right. And PwC bought them then, did they? Or? Uh, no, there, there was just a merger. International companies started to come. I was probably partly involved. I'd come to the US 
twice a year to talk to the big companies and say, you know, you need to get to Europe, and if you want to get to Europe, Ireland is where you should get to. The history, the early history, was we were still a very agricultural con- oh, uh, yeah. country. Oh yeah, and if you look at 1960, I can tell you, in the national statistics, the export of cattle on the hoof and immigrant remittances were two huge items in yeah. the economy. Yeah. The English buyers had come over to the Dublin, the, the Dublin cattle market in Prussia Street was a huge thing. And they bring them over on the boat, drive them down to the North Wall, actually on foot. Put them on the boat. Boat would unload at at Hollyhead. Birds would lorry them then to wherever. Yeah. Now, of course, it, very little goes on hoof now. It's processed yeah. in Ireland. Yeah. That just tells you one of the things we have done. Yeah. But the, talk to me a bit about your proactivity, because I can understand if a con- if a, if an American company is thinking of going to Ireland and you're advising them, but you were you were also proactively trying to get. Oh yeah. So what you, was the thinking behind that? These companies need to be in Europe as well yeah. as in North America. It's no good in doing the stuff in North America and transporting it across the Atlantic to Europe. Yeah. We had three things going for us. We were in the European community. Yes. We spoke the English language, and American companies actually to this day find it difficult to deal with non-English languages. I do. We early on decided tax would be a big carrot so we went for low corporate taxes which we still have to this which day which we still have to this day yeah. so those th- those were the three carrots secondly then you had to get not, not guess but you had to project in your mind the, the companies that would that that Ireland would be suitable for yes and quickly it didn't take long to figure out anything with bulk transport forget it yeah don't go there communications, technology, pharma, and we went for those the big way. And Coca-Cola Concentrate. Coca-Cola Concentrate went there. That was uh, one of the biggest exports for many years out of Ireland. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was that was huge. And I think also my understanding of the history but, was Lamas is also, and maybe we're giving him too much credit, but around the time they said, we may not be able to give jobs to all our people, so let's make sure we educate them well. It was just as Lamas was finishing up as Prime Minister or Taoiseach, free education came out. This utterly changed the landscape. And to this day, education is cheap. College fees, it depends on the faculty, but typically 1500 I mean, nobody, nobody understands that in America who, if you go to college in America, you usually come out the other end with a six-figure loan to pay off. Yeah. But in Ireland, it's free. Or, you know, well, not yeah, quite well, free. And we never went into the loan business. No. Our universities do not have as much residential as you would find, say, in North America. Yeah. You board out in boarding houses, and the word we used was digs. Yeah. These were ladies who kept people full board seven days a week yeah. it's very quaint it's like Airbnb today it's like Airbnb today yeah. <laughs> there's no such thing as a new idea yeah it was <laughs> and those those uh, those ladies uh, families they, they relied on having yeah. 10 to 12 young men uh, no they never mixed them sex was not allowed right <laughs> the women had their own uh, uh, some landladies went for women other yeah. landladies went for the boys and very religious, of course, back then. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, very. Yeah. Oh, very. Watching this firm grow and get into new areas, I'm now going into... I mean, when I was now growing up in the 80s, there was a mental recession hit Ireland, where unemployment shot up around 20% and stuff like that. What was your recollection of that time and what caused that? What caused it is world economy. Ireland is, is, is like a straw in the wind. If the world economy is hurting... Ireland is really in pain. Right. If the world economy is flying, Ireland is even flying higher. Right. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think there's anything we can do about it. Really? Okay. No. Yeah. Except in, in the most recent recession, the big one was construction, and they're just overbuilt and overpriced. Yeah. But the ones that really didn't have a recession, pharma never has a recession. People still get sick. Yes. Technology, There's no recession. You, yeah. you know, I mean, if you buy their mobile phone that you 
that you bought five years ago, nobody will take it off you. Correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. The um, and, and the company was growing and going gangbusters. So when did you get made partner? I was met, and that's a big deal, right? Oh, big deal. Yeah. I was made partner in. I went in there in seventy three. I was made partner in seventy seven. That was good. Uh, well, I came in as a senior guy, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was curious. I was just getting an offer for another firm for partnership. When I was just called in and said, we're thinking of making you a partner. Maybe they saw you in reception. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We were talking last night about uh, my observation, which we, Ireland, for those listeners who may not know, had a crash like much of the world economy in 07, 08, 09, 10 mainly driven by, I would say, greed, house prices, and banks who, uh, like in America's subprime situation, overlent and uh, were given money away. Seriously overlent. Seriously overlent. So a lot of the banks in Ireland uh, are went, went bankrupt, pretty much, had, had to be rescued by the state, and a lot of older ancillary financial institutions got caught up in the mess. I was saying to you last night when we were drinking together, I don't remember much dirt surrounding... PwC, which was quite laudable because a lot of companies that were very well respected got, got caught with their pants. Yeah, down. well, we, we were a conservative company. For instance, I as a partner could not have a single share in a client. Right. That was a given. Secondly, if I was involved in an outside business, that was not, that was a no-no. Yeah, our, our basic philosophy was, look, you're either a partner here full-time, 24-7 if need be, but if you want to run another business, fine, but out of here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We were talking about Iceland last night. Uh, you, you recall I was, I was watching Michael, yeah. Moore, Michael Moore's new movie. was very good, and he went to Iceland where there were only four or five banks. One of the reasons America came down was there were too many banks. Canada only has a few banks as well, so the less banks you have, the more easy... But Canada would be more conservative. And much more conservative. But Iceland, uh, four of the banks went belly up, and Iceland only has about 300,000 people uh, living there. But the one bank that didn't go down was the one solely run by women. Yeah. And the female executives who were interviewed said, if we don't understand it, we don't invest in it. A very good principle. (laughs) Because if you don't understand it, why are you putting your money on it? Exactly. You know, uh, I mean, if you take all the Ponzi schemes, people didn't understand how these guys had made up. How could he be making all these returns? And other experts couldn't even do half of it. Sure, there was... Red lights everywhere if they just looked. Yeah. But you say greed is a funny thing. We're all greedy. Yeah. And if you're getting a good return, why ask a question? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But you should, you should. Because you don't understand why you were getting a good return. The, the other contentious issue I wanted to get your point of view on was when Iceland went down, they kind of went tough luck to the investors who lost money with the, con- with, with the bonds. Yeah. Ireland took another tack and said, no, we'll guarantee your losses. And that really was what crippled, in hindsight, what crippled the economy. Yeah. Where do you lie on that on that line of thinking? I myself think Ireland did the right decision, but for one thing, I think they, the bondholders weren't guaranteed, mm-hmm. and they should have been left go. Uh, but depositors have to be guaranteed, because your typical depositor, money in the bank, how could it be safer? So he, need, he or she needs to be guaranteed. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the vulture funds who have bought bonds, I wouldn't guarantee them, no. They should but go. they were guaranteed by our... Partly, eventually, party. yeah. yeah. But uh, they should have been burned. Do you think we have learnt our lesson from that debacle? You never, because the new lesson is different. You see, you learn the lesson as to why it happened and all this. But remember, the next crash will have no bearing on what happened before. It will be some new reason. Yeah. I mean, uh, some of the politicians say we're making sure it will never again happen. Yeah. This is a poppycock. You can't be sure it will never again happen. And the reasons why it will happen will certainly not be the reasons the last one happened. Yes, of course. Right around 2008 when, the, when Lehman went down. Yeah. I mean, this whole... New Lehman York was, was a big factor in the crash because... Post Lehman, no bank would lend to another bank. 
The whole banking system is dependent on confidence. Yes. They lend to each other. To explain confidence, you take out a $100 note there. It's only a piece of paper. But we are confident enough to know we will get $100 value for it. Yes. But the real value is a piece of paper. Yes. And banking is like that. It's confidence. Yeah. I met a guy here, because New York was... They, could, they, th- they thought the world was ending. And I met a guy from Citibank who actually, we were just in a pub and he, he was really senior in Citibank to the point where he was he said to me, I'm so senior, I'm not telling you who I am. I see, yeah. But he said, because I was asking these questions, and again, I'm stupid, I don't know anything about accountancy, I don't know anything about, about how money works, so I was asking just the kind of pleb on the street question to him. And he said, you know, our shares have gone down to something like, I think they went down to something like three three dollars maybe even less I yeah. remember but effectively from, the shares crashed yeah. yeah he said just buy them again they'll be back up around 18 20 you know, within a year because what we'll do is we're not allowed we've got our wrists slapped in the industry about doing that thing and, and it's like a roulette we, we'll, we'll go off and play some other table game somewhere else and no one will will, will, will watch over us and then we'll, we'll as you said again. there'll be another thing go wrong yeah and <laughs> I mean if you take something like subprime it should never have happened. Mm. And it will happen again. Subprime depended on guys selling uh, loans to people who they knew couldn't repay. Yeah. And then they bundle that up in a bond with some government bonds and sell it to people around the world and get uh, standards and poorer people like that to give it a triple A rating. Oh, crazy. Yeah. I don't understand why the rating agencies haven't been sued up to their eyeballs. It seems like a racket. Up to their eyeballs. Yeah. Because some of these bonds got a rating that they never deserved. It feels like a kind of, oh, you pay us enough and we'll keep you at the AAA. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. I'm kind of down on the, on the rating agencies. They completely missed the boat. Mm. So, Tyg, one other thing I wanted to ask you was the thing that's happening now with inequality and how, you know, as someone who's been in close with finance and financial institutions and the rich getting richer you know, and Donald Trump's emergence and stuff like that. Where do you see that ending up? Uh, it's very difficult to know what is true if you look at the United States. Middle-income people have had no real increase in 40 years. That can't go on. Yeah. And the other point is they keep saying lower taxes will create jobs. There's actually no evidence whatsoever, no economic evidence, that lower taxes on the rich will create jobs. Mm. And I mean, a social agenda, though. Do you think that the do you think capitalism will turn a corner into that? It probably will turn some corner. You see, capitalism is fine, but it has to have a social hand. Hmm. You see, if you take, uh, as Rumsfeld said, all Europe, yeah, we have high taxes, but we also have very good social benefits. Yeah, uh, particularly the unemployed, the sick, the schools, the colleges, they're all subsidised in the general taxation. Mm. Actually, people do buy into it. Why don't countries like, I mean, the Scandinavian countries do this quite well, but their taxes are astronomical. They're very high, yeah. But why don't other countries try that? Partly, I suspect, because people don't vote. Uh, If you take the city of Dublin, Sheriff Street used to be probably one of the poorest streets. Yeah. They didn't vote. So nobody went down there. No politician went down there to find out what, what they needed. Yeah. No, if they went out and voted, they'd all be down there trying to figure out what these people needed. But there is rumblings. I mean, there's the Occupy Wall Street. There's, there's, the, there's the internet, the ability of the internet to galvanize people. I mean, do you see a time when, you know, without using it's a strong word, but, you know, revolution happens? Uh, well, if it continued as it is in the low-tax countries for another generation. Anything can happen. Mm. Anything can happen. Because the masses will eventually Rise put down up. the foot yeah. Yeah. in various ways. Yeah. I mean, they will st- could, in the US, they could stop paying property taxes and really cripple the s- system. Yeah. You see, if you take payroll taxes, they can't do anything there. That's taken off by the employer. Mm. And there's lots of taxes in the shop taken off by the shop. Mm. But oh, there are lots of other taxes. Oh, you get your bill. 
And if you to, stop paying the bill, yeah. and you say, look, the reason I've stopped paying the bill is you're not doing A, B, C. Yeah. There's an obedience, isn't there, as well? There is. There is. No real law, in my opinion, can work unless at least 90% of the population at least obey it. Yeah. yeah. They may not like it, yeah. but they will obey it. Yeah. It's not within the capacity of any state to force 30% of the population to do something that they really, really don't want to do. Yeah. yeah. Okay, last question. What would you say to the young uh, Tygo Donoghue who was leaving Kerry and coming up to Dublin all those years ago looking back? What lessons did you learn and what would you say to yourself in terms of how you approach things? I suppose it's still the old lesson that my mother and grandmother and father taught me, education, education, education. Mm. That's what I would say to young people. Education, education, education. That is far more valuable to them than anything you might leave in your will or whatever. Mm -hmm. That applies to life. Tiger Dunno, thank you so much for taking time out to uh, join me on A Pint with Shawnee B. It was great hearing from you. I was particularly enjoyed listening to your your thoughts and observations about growing up in the olden days. It It was fascinating to me. The best of luck, safe flight home, and I'll hopefully see you in Ireland sometime for a real point in the Of course sometime. you will. And we might even take in a Kerry football match. <laughs> take care. Thanks.